0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Need advice? Want to know what a pro would say? Get all the answers you need from professionals in this FOX4 podcast, Ask the Experts.
1: Welcome to another episode of Ask the Experts on FOX4. I'm your host, Hannah Guthrie, and today we're talking about in the time of this crazy, volatile world. We've got the elections, we have COVID, and we have an expert who can guide you through it. It's Craig here with Jones Advisory Group. Hi, Craig. Good morning, Tana. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for being back with us. And so can we talk a little bit about the elections, not getting political, but do the elections control the market?
0: Well, Tana, that is a fantastic question. And, you know, I I feel that the general population feel that there is some type of really strong connection in between how the markets react and elections and things of that nature. However, the data doesn't necessarily seem to, to back that up. And so when we go in and we look at what really controls the markets, well, we don't feel it's the elections. And here's why. If the elections really did control the markets, well, then you could go and look back four years ago, four years before that, four years before that. And you would see that investors during every single one of those election years would be doing the exact same thing. They'd all always be buying the exact same stuff or selling the exact same stuff. And that's just really not what happens. Um, regardless of an election year, really what controls the markets is the economy as a whole, how things are going in, in that world, um, investor fear, things of that nature. The normal drivers of the market is really what controls things. And what I find even more interesting is that I hear all the time for from people that we're working with and meeting with that they have this perceived notion that there is increased volatility or tons of volatility, during uh, the election years. Have you ever heard that from anyone, Tana, or have
1: you thought that? uh, I'm hearing it now. People have a lot of fears, like they're off doing major purchases, or maybe they're buying things all because of the election. Like, oh, we got to wait till the election is over before we do anything. They're paralyzed.
0: Well, in, in my world, there is a few different things that we look at to gauge how much volatility is going on at that given point in time. And one of the uses or one of the, the metrics we use, it's called the VIX, it, V-I-X. Have you ever heard of that?
1: No. What does that stand for? V-I-X, VIX.
0: Well, you know, I should know, but honestly, <laughs> I, just, I just know what it tells me. Right. Really what, what this tells me is that it's a lot of people refer to it as a fear factor or a volatility uh, factor in the market. So the higher the VIX, the more volatility is going on at the, that given point in time. So I kinda wanna put this into context and perspective for folks. Um, So if we go back and we look at when the highest that this measurement ever was, it actually happened during the Great Recession back in 2008. And at that time, the VIX reached uh, a height, its all time high of 89.53.
1: So is that based on a hundred, like zero to a hundred?
0: Not not necessarily, the higher the number, the more volatility. Gotcha. Okay. So, also to put this in a little bit more context, just here recently uh, during coronavirus, it, it reached an eighty-two point six nine. So, was that
1: in March when it first happened?
0: Uh, it was during the, I believe, uh, beginning of mid March. Mid March. March sixteenth, I, I think, is when when it hit that eighty-two point six nine. Now, the reason why that's important is because. Is there usually a little bit of increased volatility during election years? Sure. However, if we go back and we look at where the VIX was at the end of October for the last seven election years and we average them all together, it actually averages out to be 20.45. So this concept of elections bring along extreme volatility, well, the data really doesn't show that. And uh, to also, to put that in even more context, this morning, I actually went in and, and checked the VIX to see where it was, and it was 25.36. So, wow. it, That's a big difference. It, it's, it, it's, it's a huge difference. So is there typically a little bit of increased volatility based upon the norm in an election year? Sure. But is it recession-type volatility? Is it pandemic-type volatility? it is absolutely not recession or pandemic type volatility. And here's what I find is even more interesting is that if we go back all the way, I believe, and I'm gonna cheat here and look at my notes to make sure I'm given the right numbers. If we go back all the way to, I believe it's uh, 1928, and we look at the last 23 election years, 17 out of those 23 election years, the S&P 500 actually finished positive. So that's 74% of the time, it finished positive. And on average, when it finished positive, it averaged out with a, a, a gain of 7.1%. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that if you can stomach the little bit of increased volatility in an election year, well, typically, um, if history has shown, you get rewarded for it. Now, the few times where, where it didn't grow, there was major reasons why in an election year. One was 1932, which of course was Great Depression. Right. Uh, another was 1940, which we're on the brink of World War, uh, uh, the first or one of the World Wars. Um, we had 2000 with a tech bubble burst, 2008 with the, with the Great Recession. And so history shows that if you can stomach the volatility during an election year, roughly about three quarters of the time you get rewarded
1: for it. Okay, so we ask, um, do the elections control the market? Now what about the flip side? Do the markets control the election or affect the election?
0: Now, just like what, when I said I don't think the elections control the markets, I wholeheartedly believe the the same in the reverse. However, there is something that I that we've come across on some analysis that is very interesting, and so this holds true um, all the way back into the early 1900s. And if you look at the S and P 500 and you look at what the value of the S&P 500 was three months prior to the election, it actually does a fantastic job of predicting who's gonna win. So who's gonna win? (laughs) Who's gonna win? And actually what was so interesting about this is that it is accurate up to 87, or I'm sorry, 87% of the time. It doesn't matter what party is in office, who the incumbent is, if the S&P 500 grows, the three previous months then whoever um, is the incumbent uh, they typically stay in office
1: so, so you're saying donald trump should win based on the the analogy that you just gave
0: if the if the markets are growing three right. prior history shows that he's going to be reelected and you know who knows why that is. It could be an anomaly, but if, if I look at the data and it shows 87% of the time that that occurs and it hasn't been broken since 1980, well, that to me is a pretty pretty good indicator. And to me, maybe one of the reasons why, and this is just my own beliefs, is that it could also lead back to the whole overall concept, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Meaning if Uh, the economy is doing well, well, then whoever's in office at that point in time, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, must be doing something right. So that's what history has shown. Now, is that what's going to happen this year? Whoa, who knows? Because this this election is so contested. Um, You know, we have both sides, you know, um, Trump is talking about how he may not, uh, you know, want to concede the election. There's uh, turmoil about mail-in ballots uh, and if they're not a declared winner then what's going to happen uh, you know lawyers get involved court battles and one thing that the markets do not like is uncertainty so if we have a declared winner then I think you know you can kind of throw some of these historical volatility numbers out, out the window because things might get a little, little, little bumpy.
1: So how do people handle their investments right now? First off, it'd be great if they would call you. Uh, Give me your number again, or how do people reach you so you can maybe talk one-on-one with them through this? Sure, Uh,
0: of course. So anyone out there that's, you know, wondering what does this time mean with myself and my investments and uh, my retirement assets that that I have, please give me a call. Um, Come in, sit down with me. I have an office in Briarcliff. I have an office out South and Overland Park at 435 and at Metcalf. It's a free, no obligation consultation. Uh, you can get a hold of me at 877 374 4524, or you can visit our website and there's a link there for you to request a visit, or you can just email into us, office at jonesadvisory.net, and they can get you scheduled to come in and sit down with me to see what we can do to help.
1: Okay, Craig, so nobody can predict what's going to happen after the election. Markets going to go up, go down. We just don't know. So what should people do right now if they have fear? And I think there is a lot of that and the uncertainty. How should they handle it right now?
0: Absolutely. So that, that is a, a, a really good question. And that actually reminds me of a conversation I was having with one of my good friends just the other day. And so he was really shaken after something that had happened to him on his way home from work. So we all know that people should not text and drive. Right. Remember, he was going down the road. He was leaving work. And he knows that he shouldn't be doing it. And he had his cell phone. He was sitting next to him in his chair. And he heard it go off. And he's sitting here telling me this story. And he thought to himself, I know I shouldn't answer this. I shouldn't take a look. But he knew his yeah. op- <laughs> And a lot of times his wife asks him to stop and pick up something. so he didn't want to get all the way home and then have to turn around and go back out. So even though he knew he shouldn't, he grabbed his phone and he flipped in and checked, opened up and, and checked his, his text. Now, of course it
1: wasn't. Yeah,
0: yeah, he <laughs> did. He did. And he was telling me all about this. Now, What was scary about this is that as soon as he set his phone down and his eyes picked back up he was in a residential area and there was a young boy out in the middle of the street and so he quickly uh, slammed on his brakes swerved thank goodness he did not strike the kid Um, so the kid was unarmed or unhurt but he did end up jumping the curb Um, and of course you know the kids parents are out there so he got a mouthful Um, And he was very embarrassed and shamed and scared. And after that, he swore to himself that no more, no more am I ever going to check my phone. And, you know, most of us out there have been guilty of it at some point in time. I've been guilty of it.
1: uh, Not me, Craig. Never. No, never. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what, what he was telling me about that was, you know
0: what, his exact words were, Craig, I feel like I just had a near miss. And I don't want to ever be put in that position again. So every single time I get in my car, I'm just going to take my phone and I'm going to stick it into my glove box. Okay. You know what, when he was telling me that, I kind of started thinking about the markets as a whole. And I feel what we just experienced as far as the markets are concerned is a near miss. And here is why. So if we go back and we look at how long it typically takes the markets to recover, from a major downturn like we just um, had in, in, in February and March from coronavirus, how we came back was a near miss. It was really quick. So as an example, uh, if we look at how long it took for us to recover from the Great Depression, it actually took us a little bit over 25 years for the market. 25 years? 25 years. Exactly. And I, I'm going to use my cheat sheet again. It was exactly 9,125 days before the markets returned to pre great depression levels
1: was that because of the war which you know, ramped up spending and all was that what did it, it no, was the war that
0: it was it, it was part of it, and there are a lot of factors that, that went into it, but you know just as an example, the, the point is is that when the markets take a huge tumble, sometimes it takes a very long time for them to get back to where they were as an example, the Great Recession back in two thousand eight two thousand and nine that took uh, roughly about four years or 1,460 days. So that was quicker than the Great Depression, but what we experienced just right now with the downfall from coronavirus and how quickly we snapped back, the markets actually came back to pre-coronavirus levels in 183 days.
1: So the people who panicked and sold like at the beginning of March, that probably was a mistake?
0: Well, if you look at how, how quickly it snapped back, uh, absolutely uh, it was it was a mistake for them because typically they would have done what I refer to as investing dyslexia. We all know we 're supposed okay. to buy low and sell high, but they just did the, uh, they just did the exact opposite.
1: So if, your analogy of your friend with the phone and putting it in the glove compartment, should we take our investments and in effect, put them on a shelf don 't look at it, just ride things out.
0: Well, not necessarily and and here 's why is because. This time, again, I refer to it as a near miss. We are very fortunate that the market snapped back and snapped back as quickly as they just did. However, right. we don't know what the, what's gonna cause the, ma- the next major market downturn. As an example, I had no, I mean, I would have never guessed, you know, this pandemic called COVID-19 that is also referred to as coronavirus would wreak havoc on not only our market, but the entire world, right. uh, get sick, there'd be tons of deaths. Etc. cetera. I, I actually was uh, in the airport in Vegas for a work convention the first week of February. And as I was leaving to fly back on Sunday, I was in the airport. I saw a lady walk by um, wearing a mask. And I thought to myself, "What what's going on in the yeah. airport wearing a mask? I had never even heard of COVID-19 or coronavirus. So I picked up my phone and started Googling stuff and, and found out what was going on. But my point is, is that We don't know what the next coronavirus or housing recession, we don't know what it's going to be. And this time we got lucky in that the market snapped back as fast as they did. But historically, that's typically not the case.
1: And so if- What if we get another wave of COVID? Are you kind of factoring that in when you're advising your clients?
0: Absolutely. And and it's not only to uh, set folks up to better better weather uh, another round of COVID, but it's to better weather, whatever else might be out there on the horizon. So for those folks out there that uh, you know were uneasy about what happened in the markets um, when, when COVID came about, here's what you can do to help protect yourself. So the, the very first and foremost thing that you wanna understand is how much risk you have in your portfolio. And again, the reason for that is, is because this time it was a near miss. We got lucky. The uh, markets returned back to pre-coronavirus levels in a very fast um, manner. Next time, that may not be the case. And so if you're in retirement and you're using these accounts as income, which means that we're already withdrawing money out of them every single month to help keep ourselves retired and do the fun things that we wanna do, and the markets take, you know, four years to recover. Well, all of a sudden now what we're doing is we are pulling money out of an account when it's already going backwards because of market losses, which, in the long run is going to drastically reduce the longevity of that money i.e it's going to increase the chances that you could run out and so
1: and you have th- to go back to being a walmart greeter
0: <laughs> which is what we don't want to have happen which is what There's nothing wrong with that it's so a fun job but- the 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 other way that i like to look at this and especially when people are in retirement and on how you weather these financial storms when they happen we don't know when it's gonna happen. We don't know what what's gonna cause it and we don't know how long they're gonna last. And that's why it's so crucial that when you're in retirement to have what we call a foundation within your portfolio. So just like when you build a house, um, what's typically, what's the first thing that you start with before you- the foundation, the basement, that's the very Absolutely, first thing. absolutely. So you have to have a foundation because without the foundation, there is no house. And that's just the same thing applies to with your retirement plan. So with your assets that you're using for the rest of your life to keep yourself retired, you need to have a foundation in those assets as well. And what I mean by a foundation is, assets that can weather the storm when things like coronavirus or the great recession or we don't know what the next one would be for you to use in those times. Because if 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 I'm retired and we are now in a market environment where the market has been down two or three years in a row, Last thing I want to be doing is withdrawing money out of an investment that's already going backwards because the uh, market's performing poorly. you still need to live, so what do you do? Well, if you have investments in a foundation which are protected from market volatility, I would much rather be pulling my money out of something that is not already getting hurt from market volatility. And so that's what we can help people do is analyze their overall situation, see how much risk they have in their overall portfolio, help them at least build this foundation because if you have a foundation, then that helps you better weather those financial storms when they do occur.
1: So if you have like stocks and bonds, like maybe growth stocks or whatever, so if you get a strong foundation maybe in bonds and the market's going down, you're pulling money from bonds to live on as opposed to the stocks that might be going down. That would be be one way of
0: looking at it. However, there are other options out there besides just bonds to use to build that foundation. And so that's why I urge people to contact me and come in, sit down and and learn about how we help folks because the general public think that really the only way to reduce risk is to go and park some of your money in bonds. Well, the downfall of that is that right now, interest rates uh, with bonds are... Not very attractive, right. and right. bonds are truly not 100% safe. Bonds are do have uh, volatility now, it's it's different, it's a different mechanism than owning a stock. It's it's based upon interest rates, and right now we're in a very low interest rate environment. So, what does that mean to me? That means that I your bonds, well, the only place that interest rates can go is up. Right. When the interest rates increase, the present day value of a bond decreases. So there are other avenues, other options people can use to build this foundation to really truly protect money from any of that interest rate sensitivity and market volatility to then help you weather the storm when things get poppy.
1: You know, I think it's confusing to a lot of people. We always hear this like, oh, you gotta have 2 million or and 3 million to retire. And most people don't have that. With mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't have that kind of money, can they come to you and can you help them build? And they're never maybe gonna to get to the two or three million, but they wanna be able to live comfortably.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So that's one of the things that I actually hear quite often from the, the folks that, that we meet with. First and foremost, I am here to help anyone in any type of situation with their financial needs. Now, do we specialize in retirement planning? Absolutely. However, I work with young, young folks all the time Helping them set up accounts to then use down the road. We don't have any minimums. I know some folks in my world, they do have minimums, but I didn't, I mean, myself and the other advisors with our firm, we didn't think that was a, a good thing just for uh, the, the general public. And here's why somebody needs our help, we want to help them. So it doesn't matter if you have 10,000, 100,000, a couple million, if we can help, we we absolutely want to help set you up for um, a better retirement and a better better future. And then also,
1: ten thousand could come into you, and you wouldn't shut the door. You would like say, absolutely, we're going to help. Abso-
0: absolutely not. And then one of the other things that, that you mentioned, that I want to hit on real quick is that you know you hear people say that we should have a million dollars or two million dollars. Right, right. Well, that really is a very loaded statement in my mind, and the reason for that is is that how much assets you need to sustain yourself in retirement is all based upon the lifestyle you want to live in retirement. As an example, if you're a frugal person and you don't need a lot of income in retirement, well then you don't really have to have a lot of retirement savings for you to be comfortable. If you have a very lavish lifestyle and you want to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month on uh you know whatever you want to do in retirement well then yes you need a lot more assets to make sure that that you don't run out so you know that this idea and this concept of i have to get to a million before i can retire or i have to get to two million before i retire it's really based more upon how do you want to live in retirement how much money do i need and then we back into how much assets you have to to get to to allow you to live the, the life you want in retirement.
1: Because if they think they put that high figure there, then that stops people from saving anything at all because they go, well, I'm never going to be able to retire, so why even start? I'll just work until I die.
0: Unfortunately, sometimes people think in that fashion when, it, when it's not the case. Really, what, what we have found, and this plays out at every single time, it, it's mostly driven up, up, upon how you're wanting to live your life, how much money you need because, again, you know, if you're, if you're living frugally, then you don't need as much. If you're going to live lavishly, well,
1: then you need more. Okay, that's pretty simple. <laughs> Craig, thanks so much for your advice. We really appreciate Craig Gordon here with the Jones Advisory Group. And again, for those who want to reach out and talk to you again, I love it that you have no minimum. So you don't have to be a rich man to talk to Craig and he will treat you like you're one of his richest clients. That's what's nice. You don't, there's no difference between somebody with not a lot of money and somebody, well, the money is different, but you don't treat them differently.
0: Absolutely not. So. To meet you again. Yep, um, so anyone who'd like to come in and sit down with me again, I have an office in Briarcliff and I have one out south at 435 and, and, and Metcalf. It's a free, no obligation consultation. Uh, just give us a call, eight seven seven three seven four forty five twenty four, or you can uh, visit our website at jonesadvisory.net and there is the link there for you to request a visit or you can just email into our office and request a visit that way at uh, the email address of office at jonesadvisory.net.
1: Craig, thanks so much for being with us again. We always look forward to talking with you.
0: Thank you so much, Tana. Have yourself
1: a great rest of your day. All right, that's been another episode of Ask the Experts on Fox 4. We appreciate you joining us.